If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And while you're turning in your Bibles, I want to just begin with a little incident that I heard about earlier this week. Now, this didn't happen to me, but this happened at the church of another pastor that I know. So, as a pastor... A lot of people have different assumptions about what you do Sunday through Saturday, and maybe you even have some questions about what I do as a pastor day in and day out. Maybe you say, well, I know a little bit about what you do on Sundays, but what is a Monday like for you? I'll tell you what a Monday is like for me and for many pastors. Obviously, it, it depends on the time of the year and the church calendar, things that are going on. That, that makes Mondays look different each day. But some pastors are so exhausted by the weekend activities that they actually love to have Mondays off. For me and for Pastor Eden, we like to um, be able to follow up from things that took place over the weekend, especially over Sunday. And we want to kind of get in the office and review some things together and make a bit of a plan, if we can, about what the, the rest of the week is going to look like. And so for me and Pastor Eden and for other pastors that I talk to, um, there's some sort of a plan for what Monday is going to look like. But um, what, what I've experienced in being a pastor over the years is that you can make plans, but things often change. Oftentimes you will get a phone call or an email or a text message or someone will just stop by the church and that will totally change what your day looks like. And so this pastor that I know had someone show up to his church on Monday morning and say, hey, I need to talk to a pastor. And uh, he had never met this guy before. He, this guy had never been to his church before. But being the nice guy that he is, he says, okay, I'll take some time to talk to you. So they sit down together and this guy begins to ask him if he was preaching from the pulpit that people should not get the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, this pastor says, no, I don't actually see that as my job to tell people what they should and shouldn't do about this whole vaccine thing. And so this guy who had stopped by basically goes on this long rant about how if you get the COVID vaccine, you're injecting Satan into your bloodstream. And then everything goes on from there. And this guy is trying to take Bible verses and use them and twist them and de defend his point by, by doing this. Well, this pastor sits there and very kindly he listens to this guy's theory for quite a while. And he finally says, you know what, I appreciate your concern. Thanks for coming in and for giving me this warning but uh, we're not going to be changing anything about the way that we preach from the pulpit, and I'm not going to be changing anything about what I'm saying on this topic right now either. Goodbye. I hope you have a good day. Well, at that moment, this guy who had come to talk uh, gets super upset, and he starts telling this pastor, he says, listen, do you realize that you're casting a prophet out of your church. And you know what happens when you cast a prophet out of your church? Well, this, this pastor says, no, I'm actually not doing that. That's not what's happening here. I'm just saying that I'm not going to be preaching or teaching this message that you want me to teach about vaccines from the pulpit. And at this point, the guy just loses it and he says, fine. 
then guess what? I'm going to put a curse on you and I'm putting a curse on your family and I'm putting a curse on your church. I'm putting a curse on all of you. You say, wow, really? I mean, somebody would actually do something like that. Well, welcome to Mondays in the ministry. (laughs) You just never know what's going to happen, right? Now, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you put a curse on somebody? When was the last time that you thought, you know what, what I really need to do today is to put a curse on somebody. I'm going to put that on my to-do list and that's what I'm going to accomplish. Somebody criticizes you at work and you say, you know what, I'm going to put a curse on you and on your entire family. That seems to be really bold. It seems to be kind of out there, right? But I would bet that most of us would probably say, you know what, I've never said anything like that before. I've never even wished that on somebody. Or, Or maybe you say, well, I've actually never said that to somebody, but I actually have wished it on some people at a couple of, at times in my life. Maybe you've never said, you know what, I, I curse you, I curse your family. But have you ever thought, you know what, I, I just wish that you would experience a little discomfort in your life. Have you ever been in a place where there is someone who has disagreed with you or maybe you've had this confrontation with somebody and you have just wished that something just a little bit bad would happen to them? Now, I'm sure that none of you would admit that right now, that all of you would say, no, Pastor Jason, I would never do anything like that. But I I just want to say this. There are many times in my life where I have been hurt. And do you know what I want to do? I want to hurt back. Or where I've been insulted and I want to insult back. Well, today we're going to be looking at just one verse from Matthew chapter 7. And this verse is commonly known as the golden rule. That we should treat other people the way that we want to be treated. The problem is that in our world, I think that we follow the broken rule a lot more than we follow the golden rule, that we we would kind of switch things around in this, and instead of treating people the way that we would want to be treated, we treat people the way that they treat us, or the way that we've been treated by other people, and And maybe you've never said anything as confrontational as this guy who visited this pastor on Monday But you think about how easy it is in our lives for ourselves um, that that we would treat others in a way that is hurtful and not helpful. That, That we can have this anger and bitterness and resentment that builds up in us and we think that we are justified in feeling that way and just letting it stay there. But what Jesus is going to say here is giving us a totally different perspective. Now, when Jesus taught this, he was seated on a hillside that sloped up from the northern sea of Galilee. And we don't know what time of year it was there. Um, There's a lot of speculation about that. But if it was during the springtime or if it was coming into the fall when they had just experienced a lot of rains, there, there would have been this green grass everywhere and the flowers would have just been littered throughout the fields. In fact, we've put a picture on the screen that we've shown throughout this series and what this area would have looked like, um, what this may have been like when Jesus sat down and everyone else around him stood 
Because that's what they did in that day. That Jesus was teaching and everyone else was kind of gathered around, huddled around, listening to him teach about what it meant to be one of his disciples, one of his followers. It's as if Jesus was saying, listen, if you want to be, you want to know what my kingdom is like? If you want to be one of my followers, this is what it's like. Do you want to be one, one of my disciples? Well, I'll tell you what, what it's like to be one of my disciples, what it means to be one of my disciples. And he tells us something very wonderful that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now again, the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at today, it's only one verse, and yet it is a big verse. In fact, for a lot of people, it is the most memorable verse in the entire Sermon on the Mount. And this comes at the end of a section where Jesus speaks about how his disciples, the citizens of his kingdom, should treat other people. Not long before this, Jesus spoke about how his disciples should not be harsh and judgmental towards others. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. And in a few weeks from now, we are going to be finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be coming into a section where Jesus is going to tell his disciples that it is time to make a decision, that there is a choice. And that's what life is all about. It's all about choices that need to be made. But here we want to focus in on just one statement, which is essentially a summary of what Jesus taught about how we should treat each other. So how should we treat each other? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, here is what Jesus says. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, whatever you wish other people would do to you, that is what you should do towards them. How do you want people to act towards you? That's how you should act towards them. It's really simple, but oh, how powerful this is. Now, there's one thing that I just want to say here at the very beginning. Uh, please remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not fundamentally about how to get to heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is about how people on their way to heaven should live. So if you consider yourself on your way to heaven, then this applies to you. If you don't consider yourself on your way to heaven, then we should talk about that. But listen, this is how those who are on their way to heaven should live. And how should we live? I'll read the verse to you again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, in some ways, what Jesus taught here is nothing new. I mean, other religious teachers in different areas of the world, and especially in the ancient Judaism of Jesus' day, had taught this same thing. This principle had been around before Jesus had even said it. But what's fascinating here is, as far as we know, Jesus was the first person to put this in the positive. In other words, this principle existed in the negative, and people understood it. This is known especially from a story of a famous Jewish rabbi by the name of Rabbi Hillel. You see, one day a Gentile, it's not, uh, not a Jewish person, but a Gentile comes along to Rabbi Hillel and he challenges the, the teacher. And this is what he said. He said, Rabbi Hillel, 
summarize the law for me, but do it while I'm standing on one leg. Kind of like the karate kid theology, right? Or the, the flamingo theology challenge or something like that. But, you, you know, this guy says, listen, you've got to tell me what the law is. Summarize the law for me and do it while I'm standing on one leg. And if you've ever tried to stand on one leg, it takes a little bit of practice to do it. Uh, you start wobbling around and it's not a very easy thing if you haven't done it in a while. But basically, what this guy was saying is this, summarize the law for me and tell me the law, but keep it short. So here is Rabbi Hillel, what he said. We're going to put it up on the screen. He says this, what is hateful to you, do not to anyone else. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. That's what Rabbi Hillel said. Now, in a way, this is the same thing that what Jesus would say later on. In a way. But, but I, I want you to notice that what Rabbi Hillel says in, this, in his one-legged statement, or one-legged theology here, which is actually a great statement that he makes, he says, what you don't want other people to do to you, don't do to other people. You don't want anyone coming along and intentionally taking their hot cup of coffee and spilling it on your leg. If they spill it on the floor, I mean, that's okay. But on your lap, that's not okay. So, um, you know, if you don't want people to spill their hot cup of coffee on you, then don't spill a hot cup of coffee on anyone else either. If you don't want someone to come along and to stomp on your foot, then don't stomp on someone else's foot. It's a very clear thing. What you don't want other people to do to you, don't do to others. Well, what Jesus did here is he took this principle that existed before and he spun it around into the positive. Because here is what Jesus said. He said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus made such an important, significant uh, advance here when he takes this negative statement and turns it around to make it into a positive statement. What you want other people to do to you, that is what you do to other people. He made the, the command so much more broader in doing that. And here's the difference. You're driving down the road. Let's say you're driving down 294. And you say, you know what? I'm obeying all of the traffic laws. I'm not breaking any of the traffic laws, which is great. But are you stopping to help a stranded motorist who is there on the side of the road? You see, you can say, you know what? I, I don't do the negative, but do you do the positive? Or how about this one? It's the difference between saying, you know what? I'm not going to steal your candy from you, which is a, a great thing. It's a nice thing to do. It's the difference between that and saying, you know what? Guess what? I got this huge bag of candy here that is my own, and I am going to take it and ask you, would you like some of my candy? There's a big difference between the two, right? Uh, putting this in the positive, it makes all the difference. Because quite frankly, I would like you to share your candy with me. So that is the way that I should treat you. I, I, I wish you were willing to share your candy with me. And I should be willing to share 
my candy with you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, seriously, after the service is over, I will take this candy and we'll put it in the back. And um, if you want some candy, uh, make sure your parents are okay with that. But you can help yourself to my candy. I want to share it with you, all right? But this principle of the golden rule, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It especially applies to the relationship we have with each other. If you want to experience love and have more people reach out to you, then you need to show love and you need to reach out to others. Isn't that pretty clear? So the, the person who is just sitting around, and maybe legitimately so, I'm not saying that they're whining and complaining about this, but maybe legitimately so, they say, you know what? I just wish that people would love me more. Or I just wish that more people would reach out to me. What does Jesus say to them? Well, he says, well, why don't you go out and love somebody? Why don't you go and make the effort to first reach out to somebody else? Jesus says, if you want others to treat you that way, then why don't you first treat them that way? So if you want to be respected, what should you do? You should be respectful towards other people. If you want to be, you want other people to speak well of you, what should you do? Well, you should speak well of other people. If you want to have friends, what should you do? You should be friendly towards other people. If you want to receive grace from others, what should you do? Well, you need to be gracious towards them. Now, this is so simple to understand. It's so fundamental, but often it gets crossed up. It gets confused in our minds. In our minds, we'll just sit around and wait for people to respect us and love us and say nice things to us without feeling like we should do the same thing toward them. But friends... If we live our life in a way that builds a groundwork of respecting others and loving others and speaking well of others, we will uh, amazingly have, uh, uh, we'll be amazed, I think, a lot of times at how wonderful respect and love and well-spoken words come back our way. Now, at the end of verse 12, Jesus summarizes all of this by saying, You can look at it there again, but he says, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus shows us this principle that is so simple and so fundamental that we call the golden rule. Because it summarizes everything that the Bible teaches us about how we should treat other people. In other words, if we would simply treat other people in the way that we would like to be treated then naturally we would obey everything that God commands of us about how we should treat other people. So God says, don't lie. And we could specifically say, don't lie about other people. And if you think about it, do you want other people to lie about you? No. So don't lie about other people. And and, and then... And uh, don't, don't make up things about them. You certainly don't want anyone to steal from you, right? So don't steal from them. You don't want anybody to commit violence against you, so don't commit violence against them. And we could go on and on and on. And it's so simple, and yet it's so profound. What an easy and beautiful measuring stick this is of a way of treating other people. 
I like something that the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon once said about this. We're going to put it up on the screen, and he says this. Oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this that has such a law. I'll give you an example of this that Spurgeon mentioned in his statement. Slavery would not exist in a world where people treated others in the way that they wanted to be treated. I mean, after all, uh, none of us wants to be forced by someone else to be their slave. So why would we force someone else to be our slave? And this is the idea that the abolitionists appealed to with various graphics that they put up. But we have one here that we're going to put up on the screen. And it says this on the bottom of this graphic. You can see it there. There's a simple phrase and it says, I am not, uh, am I not a man and a brother? Am I not a man and a brother? If you understand that I am a man and I am a brother to you, then How can I I be your slave? You should treat me in a way that you would want to be treated. Again, what an amazing, beautiful world this would be if everyone would just apply this to their lives. Now, I know that maybe one of the ways that this, that the world, that we would want to think about this and and, uh, want to kind of apply this is maybe the way that nations deal with with other nations, or the way that politicians deal with making laws. I mean, and that's a right and a good way to apply this very verse. But is it the most important place where this should be applied in our personal dealings with each other, right? That that we say, you know what, this is how we treat each other. We treat people the way that we would want to be treated. When you think about this, it it makes the law of God easier to understand. All of these thoughts are going through your mind like, well, what do I do? I mean, I I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to treat this person. Well, you you treat them in the way that you would want to be treated. And, And this makes it so easy to understand God's law, but it doesn't make it easier to obey the law. And it's true in our lives, isn't it? Some people might think, well, uh, this is great. I mean, I I, I don't have to worry about all of these laws from the Old Testament. All I have to do is to treat other people in the way that I would want to be treated. Surely I can do that. But I wonder, how are you doing with that here this morning? I mean, it's Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and I would bet that many of us have already struggled with this today, today. Maybe you would start uh, by keeping a little chart of the times when you treat other people in the way that you would like to be treated. Sure, th- this is simple to understand. It, it, it uh, takes um, a- and it takes away those things that are often very complicated to us. But that doesn't make it easier for us to obey. In fact, the reality is is that no one has ever consistently done unto others as they would have them do do to them. Except for the one person, and that is the person who spoke these very words, Jesus Christ himself. When we understand this, it, it makes every one of us say, wow, you know, I come up short. 
you know what, I, I just don't do this. In and of myself, I do not have the power to consistently live this principle out in my everyday lives. Now, it, it can help me to, to do this for other people. It can help simplify. It can help to clarify things. But it still shows that, you know what, I fall short of God's wonderful standard all the time. Well, there's this command, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It shows, uh, shows us a few things here. First of all, it shows us that God cares about how we treat each other. I, I know that this is such a fun, fundamental and simple principle, but it really is true. All of these people who are around you, God cares about them. He really does. It matters to God how you treat other people. And sometimes we get so locked in on these personal relationships that we have with Jesus Christ, which, friends, is extremely important for us to consider, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we relate to him directly. But sometimes we emphasize the personal relationship with Jesus Christ so much that it makes us forget that God cares very much about how we treat other people. You need to consider that. You can't just say, well, I'm right with God, and so that's all that really matters. No. As the Bible tells us in many different ways and in many different places, if we are right with God, then it will show in the way that we treat other people. Second thing that it shows us is very simply that we should not do things to others that we do not want done to us. Listen, the negative part of this is true. Even though the negative was a saying that came before Jesus, it is still true. But the positive is true as well. That we should do unto others the things that we would want done to us. You know, I was thinking about that a little bit this week, earlier this week, and I thought about how much marriage counseling could be simplified by this very principle. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, many of you may, might be kind of nodding here at this, that if husbands would just say, you know what, I'm going to treat my wife in the way that I wish she would treat me, or wives would say, you know what, I'm going to treat my husband in the way that I wish he would treat me. If this was done on both sides, what a difference this would make. Because instead, but instead what we often do is that we sort of have this stubbornness about us and we kind of stand back and we say you know what really they need to change first I'll, I'll start changing when they start treating me better I, I, I'm gonna wait for them to treat me better first what Jesus says is no listen you can't do that cross that off your list no I want you to treat other people in the way that you would like them to treat you first but, but I'll tell you that, that more than anything else, what this shows us is that the, at the end of the day, we really need a Savior in Jesus Christ, don't we? Because if we think about the, this and you think about, you think, well, you know what, I'm good enough to get to heaven by doing to others as I wish they would do to me, then you know what? If that's the mentality, then I, I need to have a, 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 an honest heart-to-heart -heart conversation with somebody. Because as much as, it, it, as your intentions might be good, at least for a, a time, or from time to time even, as much as you've uh, done good to other people, 
you have to admit that there have been many times and in many places where you and I have both failed to do this. Where we are not, we've not done to others the thing that we would like them to do to us. And so, what does this verse, this principle teach us? It teaches us, listen, we need a savior. And I'm so thankful that the only man who had ever lived this out perfectly is the one who spoke it. And he is our savior. He is the one who comes to us and says, you know what? I, I, I see all of the times where you have failed. I see all the times when you will fail in the future. And I will pay for every one of those sins, every one of those transgressions by my work on the cross. Just trust in me to be made right with God. And then once we have been made right with God, we can come back to commands like this one and say, okay, Jesus, your spirit is alive and active and working in me. I know that this is what you want your disciples to do. This is how you want us to live. And so I am asking you to give me the strength and the ability and the desire to reflect you well as it relates to this area of my life. But listen, we're we're never to view this as some kind of roadmap in order to get to heaven. No, this is how those who are on their way to heaven should walk. Let me finish with just one final thought here. In some ways, uh, we we can say that this command, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This command is so precious because in some ways, God himself practices this command. Isn't it true? God says he wants us to serve him. So what does he do first? He serves us. He wants us to give to him. So what does he do first? He gives to us. God wants us to keep our promises to him, doesn't he? And so what does God do? Well, he keeps his promises to us first. And the greatest example of all, we love him because he first loved us. God tells us to love him. Why? Because he first loved us. God gives these instructions to us because it flows out of his very nature. It flows out of his very character. And you don't have to do this to get God to love you. He already loves you. You don't have to do this to get God to provide you with a Savior. He has already provided a Savior for you. And now he says, this is how you are to live. Each and every one of us has an opportunity in front of us as long as God continues to give us the breath of life, as long as he gives us uh, time here on this world and in this life. We have the opportunity to reflect him in what we do, in what we say, and what we think. How much better life in this world would be in our homes, in our marriages, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our churches, if we would simply do unto others as we would have them do unto us. With God's help, we can keep this command and we can keep it in the right perspective, realizing that it points to the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we all so desperately need. Let's pray.